Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Last week was amazing having Vision Sunday together and looking at um, everything that God's doing and is going to be doing um, through this church. But we, go, we come back to the series that we were looking at before um, Vision Sunday, the series looking at Go, the series looking at the end of Matthew 28, looking at the Great Commission. And so far in this series, we've looked at We Go in Authority, We've looked at we go because we are sent, and we've looked at we go near and far. So it's taken us till the fourth week to actually look at what we're going to do. So we've looked at we go in authority, we're going because we're sent, and we're going near, and we go near and far. And this morning, we're looking at what we go to do. So for those that haven't been here over the last few weeks when we've been looking at this series, I'm going to start by reading this Great Commission together. Um, If you have been here for all those weeks, I'm expecting you to know this completely off by heart, so I will be testing you after the service. Um, The passage says this, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this week we're going to be looking at go and make disciples. Those words, go and and make disciples. And a couple of weeks ago, I said that the author of this book, Matthew, known as Matthew the Evangelist, that for him, these four verses were the most important part of his gospel. For Matthew, these four verses was the moment that the gospel is building up to, the moment that he's excited about. It's what he wants to leave you uh, reading his gospel. He wants to leave you with this in your mind. And if that is the case, if it is the case that these four verses were the pinnacle of Matthew's gospel for him, then these few words that we're looking at today are the most important to his gospel. These few words for him is what it all centres on, is the way that he's written his gospel. It all centres on these words, go and make disciples. And to condense this even more, and for people like me that like to make themselves feel smart by knowing a bit of biblical theology, um, and knowing the literary um, context of this biblical text, Matthew, throughout his gospel, he uses something called introductory participants. And the word go, in go and make disciples, is an introductory participant. What that means is that actually the verb go is not what he is emphasising, the word go just introduces the verb make. The verb make, because make disciples is the focus 
of these few words. And the reason this is important is because often we can read this passage or we can hear a preach on this passage and the emphasis is on the go. Go and do something about it. Get out of here. Move away from where you are. Hurry. Let's go do it. Where what Matthew was emphasising at this point was these two words, make disciples. So we're going to look at this morning what it means to make disciples. Two words we're going to look at this morning. So surely it's not going to take long. You're all like, is he joking? Or No, it, it, I'll probably go on for a while. <laughs> so I said a couple of weeks ago that I, was, uh, that I wrote my dissertation on these four verses. And when I was writing my dissertation, there was one thing that God spoke to me about in particular. And I really felt God nudged me to talk about this this morning, this one thing that he had spoken. I really don't like reading. I really struggle to read. And what that means, I don't struggle to read as in I can't read, but I really struggle to keep any concentration when reading, which means when I'm reading through scripture, often what I can do is I'll be like, oh, I know this passage. And I'll skim through it, completely switch off, and have no idea what I really read when I've, once I've finished. And this was kind of the case as I was doing my dissertation. I'd read these four verses hundreds of times in the space of two, three weeks. And it was getting really repetitive. And I felt like I was reading absolutely nothing. And then one, one day when I was reading this passage again and being like, God, what do you want me to talk about? What is there in this for me to talk about? I felt God stop me as I was reading. And he stopped me as I was reading um, a few of the words and he said this to me. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples, not converts. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples not to convert. It's a command to disciple people, not simply to convert them and move on. And this means if, if the call is to disciple, then it means that to convert, conversion is not the end goal of this commission. It is simply part of the discipleship process. So to avoid confusion, when I speak this morning on discipleship, when I say the word discipleship, or when I talk about discipling someone, I'm talking about the process of helping someone to become more like Jesus. I'm not talking about someone being under your own wing to become more like you, but discipling as a process of helping someone to become more like Jesus. So if conversion is our end goal rather than discipling people, rather than making disciples, that presumes that once someone becomes a Christian, once someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, if our focus is on conversion, it presumes that all your doubts, all your struggles, all your fears and all your questions are sorted and they can move on, get on with it on their own, that they need no more help once they become a Christian, once they pray the prayer or once they decide to follow God. But the call to disciple says you will have doubts, you will have struggles, you will have questions, but I'll be there with you 
I will help you through that, and I will point you to Jesus in those times. One of the most frustrating things in life, and this is possibly the most first world thing that I could ever say, but this is a first world problem, but one of the most frustrating things in life is renewing your phone contracts. Does anyone else find it really frustrating to renew your phone contract? And the reason it's really frustrating is that it's a process that you have to go through. You have to take these steps, going through the motions. But it's very time-consuming. If you want to get the best possible deals, there's a secret to it. But it takes time. And this morning, I'm going to tell you the secret to getting the best phone renewal deals. Wow, you thought you were just coming to learn about uh, making disciples, but you're also going to learn how to save money on phone renewals. <laughs> so, it's a three-step process. Step one is the step that we all do when we're trying to renew our phone contracts. You phone up your, your provider for your phone contract and you say, my contract's coming to an end, I'd like to upgrade. And this, they'll normally respond to you by saying, oh, we've got some great deals... And they offer you some deals that just seem ridiculous. They're far too expensive. And that is step one. Step one, you phone up, you ask for a new deal, and they give you these really expensive deals. Step two, which probably most of us do still, is we say, "Uh, that's not quite good enough for me. I can't quite afford that. Can you give me a better deal? Are there any better deals that you have? Now, their response to this will often be, and some of us fall for this one, will often be, okay, look, just for you, I've got this amazing deal. I don't give it to anyone else, just for you. And what they'll offer is they'll offer the exact same phone for the exact same price, but they'll add about two gigabytes of data. And that will be it. It's basically paying the same, maybe slightly cheaper. But step three, now this is the secret to renewing your phone contract. Step three is you say to the providers, thanks for your time. Thanks for giving me your deals, but I think my 10-year stint with Vodafone might be over. (laughs) I've seen some better deals elsewhere, so I'm going to move along and change phone provider. And if you hang up at this moment, then you have made a massive mistake. Because if you go through this awkward silence for two seconds after you've said this, if you've gone through the necessary steps, their response will always be the same. I'm just going to put you through to another sales team to talk about any other deals that they can give you. And it's in, these, in this sales team, the sales team that I call the I want to leave sales team, where you will be offered the best phone deals. Has anyone else done that? Said, I'm going to leave and then got the best. Can we agree that that is the best way to get good phone deals? The best thing to do, the only you're not yet part of the... Uh, is if they are not yet your phone provider or they think you might leave. They think that you might stop using them as your phone provider. Often, when we we do evangelism, when we do discipleship, often our approach, the Christian approach that we sometimes do to mission, is we invest in people, we put our arms around people, We answer questions. We go through doubts with people. We go for coffee, talk about how you're doing, how's your faith, right up until that moment that someone says, all right, I'm ready to follow Jesus. 
And then at that point, we think, great, they're good on their own. We've got them to this stage. We've succeeded. They are saved. And I want to now move on to the next person. It's time to, to go and help someone else to follow Jesus. Or we then, we then let them go, let them get on with it until we feel like they may have backslidden. Maybe they haven't gone to church for four weeks. Or something's happened in their life and you're like, oh, maybe they're backslidden. We're going to have to get back to get, putting my arm around them, getting alongside them, talking to them about their struggles, their doubts. The calling to make disciples rather than to make converts is a lifetime calling of commitment to people. If it was a calling to convert someone, then you can be with them, put their arm around them to that point and then move on to the next person once they've made that decision. But the calling to disciple someone is a lifetime commitment. And it is more time consuming. It is more time consuming, a lifetime commitment of going on a journey of faith with someone. And it doesn't stop when someone decides to become a Christian. But it also means that the pressure to convert someone is not on us. This call doesn't put a pressure on us to convert someone. Our role in making disciples is to support someone, put your arm around them and point them to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit calls them to make that decision. Our role is to help them recognise that call. We're not called to force people into converting, but to put an arm around to support to love and show Jesus in how we treat the people that we are around. So a few years ago, a lot of you will know that I spent time at Soul Survivor Church. And Soul Survivor is a church in Watford that also runs these summer festivals for young people. And thousands of people every year go to these festivals. And each year, there are hundreds, if not thousands, that make a commitment to follow Jesus. They meet with Jesus during this time, these times, and they make a commitment to follow Jesus. And when I was at Soul Survivor, when I was spending time there, they were doing some research that really was really alarming for them. So there was about 2,100 people that year that, became, that made a decision to follow Jesus, that became a Christian. And Soul Survivor did some research to see where were those people a year later, a year after making a commitment to follow Jesus. Were those people still in church? Were they still, did they still have a faith? And they were looking in particular at people who were unchurched and made a commitment at the festivals. So they'd never been to church before, came to the Soul Survivor festivals, decided to follow Jesus and looked at where they were a year later. And it was really sad, actually. What they saw is that there was a massive proportion of these unchurched young people that had made that decision, and a year later had absolutely no uh, links to church, had absolutely no way that they were, um, they were alongside someone or a church helping them in their faith. And... So they decided what they do is they call up the churches. 
they'd call up churches and they'd ask two questions. They'd ask, firstly, your unchurch, the unchurched young people that made a commitment um, at Soul Survivor, number one, what kind of connection do you still have with them? And number two, what was your plan of how you would follow up from Soul Survivor? What was your plan of what you would do after Soul Survivor for those that had made a commitment? And the response was really clear and a little bit obvious, but it was really clear that those churches that had absolutely no plan on how to follow up from these festivals, the churches that had no idea what they would do after these unchurched young people made a commitment to follow Jesus, they were the ones that had lost all the links to the unchurched new Christians. And it was heartbreaking to see how so many young people who gave their lives to Jesus had fallen away from him, who, that had decided they didn't want to be part of the church anymore because they didn't know how to do faith on their own. They were left to do it on their own and they didn't know how to do it. Yet those that had set up a discipleship programme or mentoring or some kind of plan for, ha- for how to get alongside these young people that made a commitment, those churches were able to um, keep the majority of those unchurched young people that became Christians because they were able to put an arm around. They were able to talk about their struggles, their doubts, answer any questions and sit with them and talk to them. It was clear that when there was a plan for discipleship, when there was a plan to get alongside them, when the young people weren't expected to work it all out themselves, that was then when they were able to flourish in their faith. It's easy for us to think about this pre-Christian journey, this journey towards faith, but forget that the journey of faith isn't over when you decide to become a Christian, when you decide to pray that prayer or say to God, I'm willing to follow you. We will never finish the journey of becoming more like Jesus. We'll never finish the journey of becoming more like Jesus. As far as I'm aware, there's no one in this room that is Jesus, right? There's no one that can say, being like Jesus completed it, mate. There's none of that. There's no one here that is... that has become Jesus. It's a journey of faith that we live in that needs to be lived in community. This journey of faith is meant to be lived in community. This commission that we've looked at over the last few weeks, it's not a commission just about finding non-Christians and introducing them to, to Jesus, although that is part of the commission. Part of the commission is to to get alongside non-Christians. But also, it's about helping each other grow into who God has created us to be. Please never think that you are above being discipled. Please never think that you don't need anyone to talk truth into your life. Because when we're discipled, when someone's being honest to you, when they're when they're sharing with you, when they're talking to you about your doubts, about your struggles, about your fears, when there's someone to, um, to pray for you and point you to Jesus, when we're doing faith in community, that is when we're able to be.
And I want to challenge this morning that if you don't know who it is in your life that is doing that, who it is in your life that, that speaks truth into your life, that will challenge you in love and in grace, that will, that will say to you, how's your faith doing? How are you doing? If you don't have someone, if it's not obvious to you who it is in your life that does that, I want to encourage you to ask God at some point today. Ask God, God, who is it that you've put in my life to do that? And be bold enough to go and speak to that, that person that God's put on your heart and say, hey, I'd love it if you would just speak truth into my life. If you see something, that you'd call me out on it. I'd love it if you would um, sit with me maybe every few weeks and, and we can chat about what, what's going on in my life, what I'm struggling with, the doubts that I'm having, the fears that I've got. It's being bold enough to say that and bold enough to live in community, to be vulnerable, where we will flourish most as a church. We'll flourish when discipleship, life, is done in community. Also, who is it that, that you guys, that I, am discipling? Who is it that we're discipling? Is there someone that, that you've got this agreement that you will do that, that you will speak into their lives, that you will speak truth into their lives, and that you'll point them to Jesus? Are you doing that for someone else? Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Who is it that's sharpening your faith? And who are you helping to become more like Jesus? Jesus told a well-known parable, the parable of the sower, where it talks about how different people will respond to the gospel. And it's found in Luke 8, 11 to 15. And I'm going to just read it up. It's on the screens behind me. It says this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And a bit later on in this passage, Jesus explains the meaning of this parable afterwards. And the two seeds that really bother me, the two seeds that, that I want to look at now is, are the two seeds, the seed that lands on rocky ground and the seed that is among thorns. And this is how Jesus explains those two. He says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. With both of these seeds, the rocky ground and the thorns, I wonder that if their life was being lived, if their faith was being lived out in a healthy community, a healthy faith community, where they were being invested in, when, where people were putting their arms around them, talking about their doubts and struggles, I wonder if the outcome would be different. 
Verse 13 is about a lack of rooting in Jesus, leading to testing times, making them fall away. It seems like there's a need for someone to help teach foundational truths, foundational biblical truths, and reminding them of this in the hard times, but also to just sit with them, to cry with them, to live with them, and to support them. And verse 14 talks about life's worries and stresses, pleasures and pains choking them. Maybe in this situation, what was needed was someone that would come alongside them and chat to them. Someone that would point them to Jesus and show Jesus' love to them. And it says that when a good seed is sown, when a good seed is sown, it yields a crop a hundred times what was sown. And in the same way, when healthy discipleship is the way of doing church, when faith is done in community, when this discipleship is healthy, it breeds discipleship. Discipleship breeds discipleship. When you disciple someone else, you're discipling them in order that they will disciple someone else, that they would disciple someone else, who would disciple someone else, who would disciple someone else. The call to discipling is a call to a community, of doing faith in community. And yes, it's a big calling, and it requires investment, it requires energy, it requires love, and it requires grace. But isn't that just how Jesus uh, was to everyone he came across? Jesus didn't stop discipling the twelve when they made a commitment to follow him. But instead, in community, he taught them to follow God and help them to grow in their faith. So I spent a fair amount of time explaining, looking at the call to disciple rather than the call to simply convert. The call to disciple means faith in community, a process of supporting, loving and showing grace. And it means that once a commitment has been made, the discipleship is not over. Once a commitment has been made, um, discipleship does not stop. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And it's a journey that we're never finished, a journey that we never will finish. So what does scripture say about how we disciple. Well, luckily, I don't need to talk about this for ages because it explains it in the uh, original text that we've been looking at. It says that discipling looks like, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The scripture says that What discipleship looks like is baptising and teaching. And next week, Jason Ankers is going to touch on the first part of that, looking at um, the change, the new life that comes through this commission and what it means to baptise the new life that comes in that. But the second part of discipleship that is spoken about in this passage talks of teaching to trust, to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. 
teaching to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And it's the first time in scripture when this word teaching has been used for anyone other than Jesus doing the teaching. It's the first time in scripture um, where the disciples have been told to do the teaching. In fact, before this moment, in Matthew 23, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples that teaching is not your calling. But at this moment, he says, now it's time to teach. And the word teach talks of slow and deliberate growth. Slow and deliberate growth through relationship and through mentoring. We're not called to rush it. We're not called to, to just to convert and move on. But we're called to slow and deliberate growth <laughs> through relationship and mentoring. As I've said already, it's a process of becoming more like Jesus. And it's a commitment to do life. In our culture, we often want to get the quick results we want to see quick results straight away. We want to see, if, if you go to the gym and you're anything like me, after four weeks of going to the gym and you're not quite the rock, you're disappointed. You're like, why hasn't four weeks changed me? When I was 15, I was really, really uh, motivated to become big. I was really motivated and I spent about four weeks in the gym um, every day going to the gym. And I was getting really frustrated because nothing was happening. So I said to my parents, I said, I'm going to start having protein shakes. And they were like, well, you're 15 years old. Why don't you wait till you're 16 before you have protein shakes? And I was like, oh, stupid parents. So I thought what I'd do is I'd make my own protein shakes. So I got the blender and I put milk. And then I put, um, I put milk in the blender. I put ice in the blender, put bananas in the blender. And then I thought, I know what, why didn't I put cooked chicken in the blender? So I chucked in the, cook, the cooked chicken. And as soon as I tasted this protein shake that I made, I realised that the gym wasn't for me. I was never going to get big. because Oh, it was absolutely disgusting. But it would, the only way that I was going to get to how I wanted to be was going to be through a process of commitment of doing the same thing over and over again. Not through four weeks of really intense and then that's it, but through a lifetime of making the right decisions, of eating well, of going to the gym and doing the right things to get in the shape that I wanted to be. If you approach evangelism wanting that quick fix, if you approach mission wanting to get that quick results, to get that um, that person to where you want to be as quick as possible and then you've done your aim. If, you're, if that's your approach to evangelism, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up aiming for conversion, which leads to a lack of roots. But the call of this commission is a call that will be a consistent presence of teaching, supporting and loving. My encouragement this morning is that we will be a church that seeks to make disciples who have deep roots in Jesus. And that comes through putting an arm around someone, through chatting with someone about their doubts, about their struggles. One of the best places for this to happen is in small groups. In, in the early church, house churches were the norm. 
churches in a house that were built through community, where people were able to teach one another, where they were able to disciple one another, where it was a small group where they would love each other and have that, um, that love for one another and the knowledge of who each other are in a way that they could build each other up as much as possible. And it says in scripture that they were known for the way that they loved each other and people were attracted to them because of the way that they loved each other. And in our small groups, this is our aim, that we'll be discipling one another and that we'll be growing as iron sharpens iron. But I want to also encourage us this morning to make sure that we have someone who is discipling us. As I said earlier, I really want to encourage you, if you don't know who that is in your life, who is speaking those truths in your life, who is calling you out in love and in grace, and who is spending time listening to you and putting their arm around you, then I really want to encourage you to ask God, who is it that you've put in my life for that reason? And to be bold enough to get that sorted, to go speak to someone. We don't need to be awkward about things like this. We're not saying, if I want you to disciple me, then we're not saying your faith must be here and my faith must be here. What we're saying is, I want to do faith with you. I don't want to be on my own as I do this, but I want to do it in community. Faith in community. Faith is meant to be done in community. And this commissioning call is a call for us to invest in people and to show the love of Jesus to everyone. It's not a call to get a quick fix to convert, but to do life with people. So as the uh, band come up for a final reflective song, I want you to have to think about these two questions. Who are you discipling and who's discipling you? What does discipleship look like in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you you love us and that we can love because you first loved us. And Lord, thank you that you've put so many people into uh, this church, into our lives, who, who can sharpen us. And Lord, I pray that you make it clear to everyone um, in this room who it is that you have put in their lives to sharpen them, to disciple them. And Lord, I pray that we won't be a church that looks simply to convert, but would be a church that looks to do life with one another, that faith will be done in community, a healthy community where we point each other to Jesus. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.